Well, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll dive in. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And as we dive into your word, I pray that you speak to us tonight. We've been talking about what it means to be a Christian and asking those hard questions uh, to ourselves. Uh, now, Lord, we, we start uh, really inquiring and searching, uh, searching out who you are. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And it's our desire to search your word and to study your word so that we can come to know you more. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you help us tonight as we walk through and talk through. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, tonight we are uh, going to start kind of talking about theology proper, the study of who God is. Um, it's, it's my belief uh, that we often make a lot of assumptions about God uh, that maybe aren't super accurate. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and, and, and so tonight we want to kind of walk through, look through. Uh, of course, this is not an exhaustive study of, of who God is, uh, but it's an understanding. It's a, it's a, it's a beginning point. Uh, once we've had a conversation uh, uh, at least with ourselves and in our mind about uh, uh, what is a Christian. And we've, we're set up now, or should hopefully be set up from our previous conversations, uh, how to share Christianity, how to share our faith, how to talk about the backstory and the bad news and the good news of, of, of who God is and what he's done. N now we want to uh, not just be sure about our relationship with God, but we, we, all, we want to dive in to study who God is. Um, I think that, well, pretend with me for a minute. We're skiing, all right? We go to a ski resort somewhere, and we, we, we're skiing, and you're skiing, and everything's going great. You're having a fantastic time. And then the next thing you know, you wake up, and you're in the hospital room. What would you say? I <laughs> told you so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What else might you say? What happened? What happened? Now, if I was your doctor, good luck. <laughs> um, but if I'm your doctor and I said to you, okay, you said, what happened, doc? And I said, you crashed. You know, I went to turn around and walk away. Would that be enough to satisfy you? It wouldn't be for me. I said, well, well what happened in the crash? Was anyone else hurt? How'd you get me off the mountain? Was I in the helicopter? Did I get a free ride, you know? Of course, it's not free, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> uh, what happened? What's the extent of my damages? Am I going to be okay? Will I walk? All these things I'm going to be asking because a short answer of, oh, we saved you, you're good, is not going to cut it. So why is it in Christianity, often for, for, for many of us, we have that philosophy when it comes to, to God. The gospel says Jesus has died for our sins, and we say, okay, great, thanks. But then we, we don't start asking questions, well, God, who are you? Who, who are you really? How did you save me? I mean, I know Jesus, but how does that work? Um, um, how does Jesus' death on the cross apply to me? For whatever reason, and I think part of it's cultural, but we, we sometimes fail to ask those questions and search out those answers. Does that make sense? 
So our topic tonight is, is who's God? Let me tell you, I, have, I haven't had a Mountain Dew for like several months. You know, I thought that's going to be a refreshing um, treat. This is the nastiest thing I've ever tried to drink. I used to drink them all the time. Can't do it. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, your understanding of God is arguably the most important thing about you. Your view of God affects everything in your life. Your view of God affects how you think. It affects how you, what you value. It affects how you act. And it is almost impossible to overstate the importance of how you understand God. As Christians, we uh, uh, derive our view of God from the Bible, believing for a good reason that the Bible is a record of what God has given to us to reveal himself to us. It's critically important that we always attempt to align our understanding of God to God's word. Again, why? Because a God in my image, in my mind, doesn't always line up to what the Bible teaches about God. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it is incredibly popular in, in, in Christianity, in Christendom, um, for us to make God in our image. Do you understand what I mean by that? We say, well, God blank, because that sounds nice to us. Well, um, we'll throw up the kind of like mushmouth words to describe God, like love. Well, God's love, but we never really define what love is or how love works. Or what, or what the Bible describes love as. And so we kind of make this God in our image the way we think he ought to be, instead of going to his record. So one of the first things we discover about God when we look into his words is that he is lofty, that he is a majestic God. All over the Bible, God is presented as overwhelming and amazing. I was telling our, our homeschool group uh, Tuesday morning, uh, I, I said there are some words that, uh, I was taught as, when I was in undergrad, uh, I had a professor who was a fantastic godly man, and uh, I remember him stopping someone once because I said, oh, that game was amazing, or that whatever was amazing. And he said, yo, uh, no, no, stop, hold on a second. Not everything can be amazing. He said some words should be reserved for God alone. I've had an amazing hot dog. We've got an amazing God. Kind of cheapens God, doesn't it? Or or wrongly elevates a hot dog. <laughs> um, does that make sense? Uh, th there are some words that are that are reserved on, or ought to be reserved only for God. And of course, I, you know, the, I'm not saying it's wrong to say something's amazing. I'd say it all the time. Uh, but my point is, when we use words like that to describe lesser things. What are we saying about God? Um, we're awesome. Think about awesome. The Bible describes God truthfully as awesome, awe-inspiring. But does our view of God cause us to awe, to marvel? That's what we're going to dive into tonight. Look at these all-filled comments from First Chronicles. First um, Chronicles twenty-nine. Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. 
Yours, O oh Lord, is the, is, the, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and rule, and you rule over all. You, in your hand are power and might, and in your hand uh, it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O Lord, I'm sorry, our, our God, and praise your glorious name. C- compare, um, well, look, uh, look for t- 14, sorry. Uh, but who am I, and what is my people that we should be, that we should thus, that we should be able us to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and uh, of your own have we given you. Consider that in contrast to how we often describe God in popular culture today. It's God's, you know, this, this idea of God's my homie type thing. God's my, God's my buddy. God's my pal. When we really begin to grasp the biblical portrait of God uh, that God reveals to us in the Bible, we certainly will never be able to refer to God as the man upstairs in a flippant way or my spiritual buddy. Remember that when we maintain a deflated view of God, it, is always, it always has an adverse effect on our lives. Our view of God is going to impact our, our lives, and when we have a deflated view of who God is, it's going to have an adverse effect on our lives. We cannot afford to forget the, the inevitable connection that exists between how we view God and, and how we live our daily lives. C- consider for just a second... Uh, for just a moment, think about your relationship uh, or the relationship that exists between your sinful activities and your view of God. Think of the relationship that happens between my sinful activities and my view of God. See, see if you can identify ways that particular sins correspond with our erroneous views of who God is. For example, uh, when a Christian is, is consumed with anxiety and, and worry, he or she certainly isn't living uh, in light of the truth that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God's all-powerful and always present. When Christians think that God simply wants them to be happy, that makes way for all kinds of terrible sins in our lives. Well, she doesn't make me happy anymore, so maybe she will, because God wants me to be happy. Well, God wants me to be happy, and so, uh, uh, so I'll work, work, work to earn this money so I can buy a go-kart or a jet ski or whatever. Um, uh, but in doing so, I'm neglecting my wife and my kids and, and, and neglecting the, the, the biblical commands on my, on my life as a husband, as a father. Do you see what I'm saying there? Our view of God impacts how we live. When we are forgetful or uninformed about the kind of God we have, we make ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of problems in life. Uh, A.W. Tozer writes this in The Knowledge of, Hol- of the Holy. He says, The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the uh, cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A, view, a low view of God and the image of God uh, uh, one of the lesser evils there is, is the way we view one another. 
or consider the way I view you and the way you view me has a direct correlation with how you view or I view God. Why? Because the Bible teaches that we are created in the image of God. And so my hateful view toward you, God's son, God's daughter, impacts my view on him. Does that make sense? And so let's, let's talk about who God is and how he's revealed himself to us. Uh, no one should think that the God of the Bible is simplistic. That's certainly not the case. Uh, some things about God are quite difficult, as we'll discuss tonight. Some things are impossible uh, uh, to fully comprehend. The nature of God is one of those profound challenges. The facts as presented in the pages of the Bible are simple enough, but the intellectual resolution of those facts are often beyond our ability. For example, uh, a God that is three in one, as we'll discuss. This reminds us that God is definitely more complex than we can fathom. When we think of the nature of who God is, it is more than we can fathom. And so let's look at the facts that the Bible gives us about God and then try to wrap our heads around this in the, in the best way we can, knowing that we can't fathom everything. Fact number one is that there is one God. The Bible is clear that there is only one God which gets a little confusing uh, as we go down this. But look at the passages that describe one God. Uh, we see in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is, is one. Romans, 30, I'm sorry, Romans 3, verse 30, uh, Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith? Isaiah 44, Fear not, uh, nor be afraid, have I not told you of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Uh, is there a God besides me? There's no rock. First um, Corinthians chapter 8. Therefore, uh, yeah, therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence in, there, in that there is no God but one. Uh, the Bible testifies time and time again that there is only one God. We won't belabor that any further. Uh, fact number two that the Bible teaches us is that uh, the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Clear as soup, right? Uh, uh, while the Bible plainly teaches that there is one God, it also uh, uh, designates three persons as God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Note these, uh, these examples. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the, Lord, in, uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 1, uh, verse 8, But the Son says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Uh, your scepter of righteousness is, in the, is the scepter of your kingdom. Acts 5.3-4, uh, through 4, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a portion for yourself uh, from the proceeds of the land? Uh, what? While it, is, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So why have you uh, contrived this deed in your heart? I think that is the wrong passage. 
because I don't know how that deals with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll type them in here wrong. Um, uh, not only are all three persons represented presented in the Bible as God, but many times all three persons are grouped together and presented as a divine authority. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Uh, Therefore, go. Uh, made disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 13, uh, verse 14, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. One, two, three. There you have it again. First Peter, uh, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Christ, to those who are, uh, are elect exiles in the, in, in the dispersion, um, According to the foreknowledge of God, in verse 2, um, God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit and the obedience of Christ Jesus for the sprinkling with his blood. Um, so we have several times, one of my favorite passages in, 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 in the New Testament is the, one of the few areas where we see in the narratives, in the historical narratives of, of Christ, um, all three persons of the Godhead present. Can you think of where that is? Where you have all three in the narratives of Jesus in his, in his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where do we see all three persons of the Godhead present? Any takers? I heard it somewhere. At the, baptiz at the baptism of Jesus, we see that. At the baptism of Jesus, there, there's Jesus being baptized, the sky is ripped open, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and rests on him, and there's a voice from the heaven. This is my son, my beloved son, whom I love. With him I'm pleased. Uh, uh, fascinating little, little spot there. Um, okay. So, um, fact number two, the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Fact number three, the Father is not Jesus, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And this is one of those things, I had a guy come up, and this is, this is common, and um, this happens fairly regularly here at church. Um, I had a guy not too long ago come up to me one, one Sunday morning. He says, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, so Jesus is God. So who was Jesus talking to when he was praying? And the answer is the Father, right? He says, Okay. So when we pray, should we pray to the Father or to Jesus or maybe the Holy Spirit? I said, my friend, I get it. Hard to comprehend, but, but uh, um, so we pray in Jesus' name, right? But we're talking to the three, right? I, I mean, I often pray, God, do, you know, God help me, God guide me, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Because what we see, and we'll get into the function, the the characteristics of the of the persons of the Godhead, I assume, but we see that the Holy Spirit is what Paul tells us to walk in, right? To keep in step with the Spirit. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, right? That's not my Spirit. And so uh, we're told to, to lean into that. Uh, okay, so fact number three, the Father is not Jesus, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. One important fact that cannot be overlooked when considering the mysterious truth is that all three persons of the Godhead are distinct personalities. In other words, the one God is not simply manifesting himself in three different ways. Now, this is big, and you'll see this. Uh, you'll see this. 
and I can't recall uh, I can't recall the word for it, but there's a doctrine of theology um, uh, where where uh, it says that you know there's one God and God manifests Himself in three different images. Well, that's not necessarily what the Bible teaches. You have three distinct personalities, and not just one God manifesting in three different ways. Do you see the difference there? What we see in the, in the triune God is from, from the beginning, because John tells us that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Talk, speaking there of Jesus. Um, by him and through him all things are made. I love that imagery that John gives us, because how did God create? He said that there be light. He spoke it. Jesus, John, then describes him as the Word made flesh. By him and through him all things are made. I'm mean, a wonderful picture. Uh, 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 anyway, uh, what we see is, is not God manifesting in three distinct ways, but, but three personalities. Uh, uh, um, as one theologian put it, there are three personal self-distinctives within the divine essence. Uh, Now, how does that work? I don't know. I I got a text message last week from a guy in our church. He said, I usually don't eavesdrop um, in conversations. You know, dude, you're missing out. I love eavesdropping conversations in public. You know what I mean? It's great. It's fantastic. Um, I mean, if you're having a conversation in public, you if you don't want me to hear it, don't talk in public. So anyway, he says, I usually don't, but there was a conversation, a, a Christ-centered conversation happening uh, at the, at the uh, cup fountain machine. He said there were two women standing there talking, and one's trying to share Christ with the other one, it seemed. And the lady says, yeah, I get it, but here's what I don't understand. Uh, how is Jesus, if Jesus is God, how is Jesus talking to himself in, in prayer, you know? And he texts me, he says, I don't really know how to explain that. And I said, well, listen. I said, one, I'm doing this teaching next week. Uh, uh, but, but secondly, uh, um, understand that a lot of God, what we know about God is only revealed to us. Right? What we know is only what he has revealed. If you look at the words uh, that are recorded in, in Job, um, God says to Job, hey, were you there? Tell me, oh man, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I put everything in its place? In other words, as as recorded elsewhere, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There's a reality of who who God is that's outside of our comprehension. Um, Let's look at how these distinct distinctions are seen in the Old Testament passages. Isaiah 48, verse 16, Draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret. Uh, f- from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Here we have an illusion of two here, right? God and his spirit. Uh, Isaiah 61 Verse 1, the spirit, of the, Lord is, uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has uh, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to uh, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the, op- in the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
And that's the same passage that Jesus reads in Luke chapter 4 that uh, made them want to kill him. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Uh, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, receiving of the sight to the blind, set the liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled the scroll and gave, scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today is uh, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um, uh, so that's the, old, the New Testament quoting the Old Testament. And we see that uh, the Spirit upon Jesus, the Spirit of God upon Jesus. Okay. How are these personality distinctions seen elsewhere in the New Testament passages? <clears throat> Luke chapter 3, um, verse 31 and 32. I'm sorry, 21 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized, he was praying the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily. Uh, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, This is my son, with him, uh, with you I am well pleased. Uh, one of my favorite passages is in John chapter 14. Uh, this is a fantastic passage, and sometimes we, we miss it. Have you ever thought to yourself, Boy, wouldn't it be nice to walk with Jesus? You ever thought of that? I mean, I read these passages, and we see these disciples, and just their, their thick-headed stuff sometimes. You know, James and John, the sons of thunder, saying, Hey, Jesus, we found some guys uh, casting out demons in your name. Do you want us to go beat them up? Or better yet, why don't we call down fire from heaven, lightning, and, and burn them up? And you're thinking, guys, you're talking to Jesus, <laughs> you know? What's wrong with you guys, you numbskulls, you dummies? And I read that sometimes, and I think, well, I would never be that foolish. <laughs> I'd never be that thick-headed to, you know, whatever. So, you know, Peter denies Jesus. After all they've been through, Peter denies Jesus. After he had just predicted it, what, 24 hours prior? Thick-headed Peter. I would have never done that. I would have gotten out of the boat, and I would have marched on that water, you know what I mean? Because I've got faith. I think to myself. And then i got to take a dose of reality. I love this passage because Jesus says, it's good that I leave from you. It's good that I go. Uh, but, I mean, think about that. Jesus says, it's good that I go. What's he, where's he talking about going? I mean, certainly, immediately to the cross, right? For forgiveness of sins. But also, he's going to be leaving. And he says elsewhere, he's going to prepare a place. John 14. Um, before or later in 14, he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Um, it's good that I go, but, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Uh, another. That word that's used, there's, there's a couple different words that could have been used in the Greek. But the word that's used there for another is not just a replacement. It carries with it the idea of a, of a uh, cut from the same cloth. Okay? I've got a drink. 
I wish I could have another drink, like water. That's the first usage. Another, like water. Jesus says, another, cut from the same cloth. Or rip. Does that make, do you see the difference I'm trying to, I, I don't know, I, I'm too dumb to explain it further. Um, another one, to be with you forever. In other words, it is better for us now in our position with the Holy Spirit than if we were walking with Jesus beside us. Now let me ask you this, how often do we ignore that fact? You know what I mean? We ignore that fact that the Holy Spirit is living within us, and that's far better than walking with Jesus. How do we know it's better? Because Jesus said so. <laughs> okay. So, another, and he will be with you forever. So, conclusion, uh, God is three in one. Hello, sweetheart. God is three in one. Amazing. God is triune. That's the word that's used to describe him. God, one guard in regard to his essence, but three in respect to persons. In, uh, in his... Oh, not right now, honey. If I eat it now, I'll uh, spit it all over people. Um, God has from all eternity been expressing his perfect attributes in the perfect relationship that has forever existed within himself, within the Godhead. Perfect unity with the Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity past since the beginning of time, since begin before the beginning of time, for always and forever. Without a um, Without a doubt, it is a mystery, but arguably a reasonable one. Uh, this truth can be, excuse me, uh, visually summed up in this diagram. Uh, here's the extent of my artwork. So how does this understanding of the Trinity make a difference in your worship? Well, I don't know if there's a, a, a drastic difference other than understanding how God works maybe a little bit more, but understanding also that I will never fully comprehend. Any thoughts, questions, comments on the triune God? There's a fantastic book by that name, the triune God, written by... Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but it's a yellow cover. I don't know if that would help you any. Um, uh, that is a fantastic, it's a short little book. It's heavy, but a short little read uh, that kind of walks through the theology that developed. You, you know, sometimes people say, well, th theology just divides. It's just divisive. Um, but do we ever see the word Trinity in the Bible? Well, no. But we see God expressed as a triune God, a a Trinitarian God. Uh, there are a lot of doctrines and teachings that we that 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 flow from the Bible that aren't specifically stated in the Bible. And listen, I am a I am generally a a black and white person. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. But in the Bible, there's a lot of gray, which is one of my favorite topics to discuss. 
what must one believe? What must we agree upon in order to maintain fellowship in a church? Those are questions that really need to be answered. That really, what does the Bible teach we must agree upon? Does that, you see how that, that's important? This is one of those things that we must agree upon in, to, to maintain fellowship, I, I believe. There are some bad teachings about, that just, I, I don't think apply well with Scripture about the Trinitarian nature of God. Did you have a question, comment, thought? Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Paul writes in Romans four, five, six, no, four, five, maybe, maybe seven, eight, I don't know. Uh, somewhere in Romans, he talks about how uh, the, ho- the Holy Spirit interprets for us our groanings. You ever been there? I know I have. You don't have, I don't have, God, I don't have words to say. <laughs> and how nice is it to know that the Holy Spirit living within us interprets that to the Father. <laughs> hey, God, John just went, <laughs> here's, what, here's what's going on, you know. As if God needed to know because God's there with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And as a faithful God, as a trusting God, he's provided a way for us to have relationship um, with him. Now, so this understanding of God, the triune God, does change. Have you ever heard, well, God created us to have relationship with us? Have you heard that before? That's very popular. And, and I, it's a good, I get it. But what does that, th- there are some assumptions and implications to that, aren't there? Well, he created us to have, if that is true, God created us because he wanted a relationship with us. That implies that he needed a relationship with us. That he felt lonely without us. You see how that can become faulty? And I'm thinking, because I start saying, well, maybe, maybe I'm a big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? The West, uh, of course, I'm not, I'm not a big creedal and confessional guy, but the Westminster Confession, uh, it was a, a statement of doctrine that was developed in the, I don't know, 14, 1500s maybe. It said, man's chief end is this, to glorify God and worship him forever. The, the, the reason this council determined in Bible study, the reason mankind exists, the, the meaning of life, ready? I mean, that's a popular thing. What's the meaning of life? We'd ask some sage. Uh, what's the meaning of life? Well, glorify God and worship him forever. God's not in need or want of anything. Uh, he's not lacking anything so that he needs John Welch's worship. But he created me to worship. I'm a created being to worship. Does that make sense? Other thoughts, questions, comments? So, um, how does this understand, okay, um, by studying the triune God, we see that God is not a force or a thing, but instead God is, uh, uh, he is a God who exists in three persons. Each person of the Godhead is presented in the Bible as having uh, characteristics of personality. 
in primarily three aspects, intellect, emotion, and will. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, all three, all persons of the Godhead think, all persons of the Godhead feel, all persons of the Godhead act. We're going to go through uh, uh, some passages here, and this is the crowd participation part, all right? I'm going to put a passage on here, and, and, and you're going to tell me, is this a, an example of the Father's intellect, the Father's emotion, Father's will, or the Son's intellect, Son's, son's emotion, Son's will, or Spirit's intellect, emotion, or will? Does that make sense? Those three categories that are existing in all three. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you a softball. Ready? Jesus wept. Son's emotion, right? All right. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Which one's that? Spirit's emotion? Uh, and the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and grieved him to his heart. The Father's uh, emotion, right? Come on. Come now that as reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, scarlet they will be white as snow. Uh, though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. Thoughts? Intellect. The Father's intellect? Uh, if so, David calls him Lord. How is he? His son, that's Jesus speaking to the, crowd of Jerusalem, uh, to the crowd of Jewish believers. It's the son's intellect. That's right. Uh, Matthew 22, and no one was able to answer him a word uh, nor form that day. Did anyone dare to ask him any more questions? Son's intellect. Uh, Mark 1, uh, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit's will. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Father's will. Uh, so how does this, as we kind of rush through that, uh, uh, as we read and study passages, uh, what a great opportunity for us to, to kind of ask those questions. Okay, who, who's acting here? What is the, who is the subject from which the verb is happening? when we read passages about what God's doing. Well, who's doing the verb? Is it, is it the Father's intellect, uh, sons, spirits? Um, how does this uh, knowledge of the person affect how, how you pray? Um, um, you know, there, there are some who, who have been believed and have been taught that if you don't say the code words at the end, God won't hear your prayers. You know the co-words, right? In Jesus' name, right? If you don't say in Jesus' name, it's like you never pray, you know? Uh, yeah, honey. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Yeah, good. Genesis 1-1. Good. Um, and that is an example of the Father's will, right? Good job. My star student. Okay, any questions about that so far? Anything stand out? Okay, so let's look then at attributes of God. A, a, a thoughtful study of some of the specific attributes of this tri tri um, triune God 
uh, is critical if we really want to know who God is and what he's like. An attribute of God is a statement that accurately and succinctly describes some aspect of God's character. Um, uh, Mildred Elkson describes uh, what attributes are not. Uh, in, in Christian Theology, page 265, uh, Mildred says, We are not referring here to the acts which he performs, such as creating or guiding or preserving, uh, nor the corresponding roles he plays as creator, guide, or preserver. Uh, what we're, when we speak of an attribute of God, we're talking about a characteristic that constitutes who God is. Now, <clears throat> there are a few things to remember when considering the attributes of God. I do not. My apologies. Why don't you go get a, glass, a bottle of water and drink on it? Um, a few reminders when considering the attributes of God. Uh, number one, the Bible is the only reliable source of information about God's attributes. Um, to know for sure what God's like, we must rely upon the information that he has, that he has uh, provided. Romans chapter 2, I think it is, uh, where Paul describes God as unveiling himself. I, uh, we would know nothing about God unless uh, our knowledge of God is dependent upon the fact that he unveiled himself. It's, it's like the, 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 okay, here's a great picture of it. Uh, Wizard of Oz, right? And the man's behind the curtain, and Toto realizes it, right? Toto goes over and starts pulling the curtain back and, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? Um, uh, they would have never known the man was behind the curtain without that curtain being drawn back, right? They would have always, they would have continued to think whatever was revealed there. The same is... Sim similar when it comes to God revealing himself to us. Imagine a curtain between mankind and God, and without God opening that curtain for us to see, we wouldn't know anything about him because we're limited. Our thinking is limited. Our minds are limited. Our comprehension is limited. All we have is what God has revealed himself, and the Bible is the, pri the primary source of that. Since God has revealed himself to us, in the Bible, that is the place we must go to learn about what's true uh, about him. Now, how does that, uh, and I'm going to go off my notes for just a second here, but how does that impact the way we deal with the world around us? There is an assumption that I, I assume most of us have in this room, and that is we assume that the Bible is trustworthy. Now, there might be different reasons as to why, and there might be varying levels of how much we trust it, but there's a common assumption uh, shared by us that the Bible is trustworthy. But to many people, the Bible is not trustworthy. That's why a good apologetic as to why we can trust the Bible is so important for every Christian to have. I was talking to my twin brother uh, two months ago or so, and um, he, he says... I wish I had the faith you have, but I don't. He's not a Christian. He said, uh, I would be a Christian uh, if, if, if we could know for sure the Bible's trustworthy, or something like that is what he said. And I said, brother, let me ask you something. Do you think I'm a foolish man? He said, no, you're one of the smartest guys I know. 
I have to say that again, and I recorded it. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, I said, do you think I'm a foolish man? He said, no, you're one of the smartest guys I know. And I said, do you think I would dedicate my life to something I wasn't sure of? And he said, well, I never thought of that before. And I said, brother, all of those answers, all those questions that you have about the Bible have answers if you're willing to hear them. Now, they might not be the answers you like. Well, how could a God, you know, it's not uncommon for people to say, well, I, I can't follow a God who would forgive blank. Whatever that blank is. I, I couldn't follow a God who would forgive blank in some atrocity, right? Hitler, or usually it's not as extreme as Hitler. Usually we'd have, we have a, a, a much easier time intellectually forgiving Hitler than we would the person who hurt us. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I've, I've talked to so many uh, uh, individuals in my office. I mean, this is a reoccurring theme. Uh, and I've, I've had guys and gals both, men and women both, uh, look at me with tears in their eyes and say, if there's one thing that will keep me out of heaven, it's the hatred I have for my spouse, my ex-husband or wife. If there's one thing that's going to keep me, it's the hatred I have, they tell me through tears. Um, well, would you forgive Hitler? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I can't, that, I can't forgive this person that's hurt me. And I, listen, I get, I, I, I'm not excusing that. I'm not, I, I would never want to excuse that. But I'm, my point is this. Usually we have issues with who God is, not because of who he is, but because of how we feel about stuff. Well, they don't deserve grace or forgiveness. You know, you know what I mean? That limitation is on, on our end. Understand it. We got to work through those things, right? I can understand having hatred for somebody, right? But hatred kills you, right? Hatred doesn't kill a person you hate. It eats a hole in your soul. In my experience, the person you hate doesn't care. <laughs> it's just baggage you carry. So, um, so my brother says, you know, I, I can't be a Christian because I can't. I said, brother, the answers are there. I'm not a foolish guy. I'm not a simpleton. I'm not a stupid guy. I would not dedicate my life to teaching a book. I'm not doing it for money. I guarantee you that. Right? I'm not doing it for the prestige. <laughs> what other motivation might I have? I believe in this book, and that's why I teach it. And I believe with confidence. It's not blind faith. So the Bible has been revealed to us. Okay. Our issue with an unbelieving world is we have an assumption about the Bible can be trusted. It's so important for us to have an apologetic as to why someone uh, uh, should believe, right? Why can't I trust the Bible? There's two resources. One resource off the top of my head that's a really great, easy read. Um, uh, 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 it's by William Mounts, M-O-U-N-C-E. Uh, William or Bill, it might be Bill, I don't know. Bill or William Mounts. And it's, a, it's titled, Why I Trust the Bible. Or, why, why, yeah, Why I Trust the Bible is what it's titled. Uh, the cover has um, why I, and then it has don't, and then don't is scratched out, okay, if that helps you. It's a fantastic little read. It's not a heavy read at all. It's not a, this guy is one of the, the leading uh, um, Greek uh, uh, scholars today, uh, but this is not an academic book. It is a reader book. It is, 
It's an easy read. Youthful. Uh, Useful, and they've got a youth version as well. So if you've got kids, grandkids, this is a great resource for them as well. That's it right there. Yes, sir. So Rod's going to buy everybody a copy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good book. I've got a copy if anybody wants to borrow mine. Yeah, super, super, super. And you could probably get an e-version cheaper if you're t- so. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, 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 number one, the Bible is the only reliable source of information about God. Good there? All right. Number two, uh, the information found in the Bible about God is profound and immense. Uh, there's a lot of it. Uh, it, uh, it can be a life, it should be a lifelong pursuit to continue to study who God is. Although the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know about God, uh, the information we do have is extensive. Uh, it can easily take a lifetime to delve into the implications of just one of God's attributes. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Um, and now I've got Ephesians in here. I'm not sure why I put it in here, so... Let me read it, and we'll see if it makes sense to me as I read it. Uh, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Oh, here here we go. The the depth and the breadth, uh, the length and the height and the depth. uh, To know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Um. I was talking to you. Know, some of you have heard my story about my cigar buddy, right? The old guy that starts to share the gospel with me, profanity laced. Uh, I mean, he he's sitting there. He says, "Young man, I gotta tell you." And he starts, I mean, f bombs. And you know, I I, I don't uh, with profanity. Uh, sadly, I've become callous, I guess. Uh, but this guy was using so much profanity, I was kind of like, "Oh boy, this is uncomfortable," you know. And. Um, uh, <laughs> And, and, and the conversation very quickly turned with all this profanity. And it very quickly turned and says, I, I, I need you to know, young man, that there's a God who loves you. And Jesus Christ died for our sins. And he's sharing the gospel with me. Um, uh, and I remember, I, finally I stopped. I got a word in. And I said, sorry, I'm a pastor. And he says, oh, good. And so it started this really great uh, friendship that, we, that we've developed. Not friendship, but, you know, acquaintanceship. And, uh, and he was telling me a couple weeks ago, he said, uh, he shared this passage with me. Uh, in Proverbs 25, he said, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but it is the glory of kings to search them out. Now think about that for a second. The glory of God to conceal things is the glory of kings to search them out. And he starts to explain to me, uh, by virtue of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, uh, we have been made, and as the Bible teaches elsewhere, and it's a lot, I'm, I'm going to condense a lot of this, uh, but we have been made prophets, priests, and kings, okay? Uh, he says it's the it's virtue of kings to search them out. Uh, th- this guy is, you know, he, I mean, he, he eats the word. It's very clear, and we're sitting there, and he, he says, I love the fact that for years and years and years, I've searched in this book, and I'm always discovering new. It's, all, it's, it's, it's almost as if the Bible is honest when it says the word of God is living and active. No, man, thank you. But thank you for offering to share me. 
please come up with another nonsense reason to disturb me. Um, I love you. Um, let's see, what else? Prophets, Bruce King, yeah, yeah. So sir, he says, I've been studying this book for, for 40 years. This guy, listen, he, he, fantastic testimony. He was an alcoholic. He said, I was drinking myself to death. My, my, my wife despised me at this point. She just wore her knees out praying for me. I had young kids at the house. I was a worthless husband. I was a worthless dad. I was boozing up too much, in and out of jail with DUIs or AIs or whatever the issues were. He said, I, just, I, was, I was lost. I was lost, and I was sitting in the backyard of my house one night there in Fayette County, and he said, he said I cried out to God, God, help me. He said, I've never felt so desperate in my life. I said, God, help me, and he did. He said, that night started a whirlwind of change in my life. Uh, uh, and, 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 and his relationship, with he studied this word. He said, I didn't need AA and all that stuff. He said, I dove into the Bible, the word of God, and that word of God told me that I wasn't defined by what I had done. That word of God told me that I was a, that I was a son of God, that I had a new identity. He said, it's changed my world. He said, I love the fact that the Bible, I've studied it for 50 years now. He's 74, 75 or so. Uh, he says, I've studied this for, for almost 50 years. He says, he says um, it's always new. It's always coming to life and revealing newness to me. And, and that's, what, that's what the Bible does. And we'll never, we'll never, we'll never fully comprehend it all. Tonight, although uh, admittedly we'll only cover, a, well, probably next week, we'll only cover a few of God's important attributes uh, you could spend the rest of your life searching. Uh, the, the, the number three uh, of whatever we called it. Yeah. Uh, some of God's attributes are revealed to be a model for our lives. So we're going to divide our conversation up into two types of attributes. You've got God's uh, non-chaired attributes, attributes that are preserved only for him. And then we'll talk about God's shared attributes, which are a model for us. It's obvious that some of God's attributes cannot be shared uh, in the lives of a Christian. Uh, for example, the fact that God's always everywhere. Well, we can't, we're limited, right? Uh, that's definitely not prescriptive for us. On the other hand, God told us to reflect many of his attributes in our daily lives. Um, for example, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but he... <clears throat> but as he is called, I'm sorry, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy or for I am holy. Now the distinction between attributes, um, we are to imitate and attributes which are alone his should always be carefully noted as we think of who God is and study who God is. Um, and, and, and on some readings, and I think Mounts actually in that book uh, deals with this in some uh, aspects, but sometimes they'll use different words uh, like moral uh, attributes and non-moral attributes. Uh, um, tonight, we'll, we're going to be talking about shared attributes and, and non-shared non attributes. When it comes to his shared attributes, um, Romans 3.23, for example, makes it clear that we cannot always perfectly reflect the shared attributes with perfect consistency. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short. Uh, 
But that does not mean that we cannot and should not make uh, the reflection of his character the goal in every situation that we face. Does that make sense? So we'll never do it perfectly, but we'll do it um, more and more. I think what I want to do, I don't think I want to divide the shared, the non-shared attributes and the shared attributes into two different nights, okay, because of how they work together. And so what I think I'd like to do is pause there in our worksheet and ask you if you have any questions or comments or thoughts about what we've discussed. <laughs> Uh-huh. I thought you were saying, oh, we have these qualities in common or can have them in common. But what you're saying is we can't have them in common, so he's sharing with us what he can. Uh, I am saying that there are attributes that are only God's. For example, all-knowing. Okay? We cannot be all-knowing. We're limited, Right? Uh, but I suppose you, it's fair to say he shared it with us. It is, it is an attribute that we should aspire to. It's a prescriptive attribute. Okay. Some things in the Bible are descriptive, describing what is. Some things in the Bible are prescriptive, telling us how it ought to be for us. Okay. So, so the shared attributes, for example, are attributes that, uh, that we should aspire to. God says, be holy for I am holy. We should aspire to that. Does that answer that? Yes. And I think it'll be, as we walk through them, it will become more clear or more muddy. <laughs> uh, nor hesitantly, yes. <laughs> you are gorgeous and cute. Pop, yeah, Rod, Rodney is gonna punch you in the in the eye, so you don't have to worry about the watering anymore. Or you have, a, yeah. Or give him your finger, and he's got a great finger trick that will take your your mind off of the eyes. Have you seen that uh, major pain? <laughs> anyway, uh, other questions, comments, thoughts. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. The way I was raised, I I was raised that, you know, the Father begot the Son, and then the Son came before the Holy Spirit and, and left the Holy Spirit. But then, without question, it's three in one. Mm -hmm. And so to me, seeing that it is not, I, that, I can't comprehend that because the way I was raised, it's one. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I can see where people that don't understand can not see how three can be one. Say the first part of your statement again. You were taught, just explain to me how you were taught. I was taught 
Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um I I I I get what you're saying, absolutely. Um Have you ever have you ever heard of the egg analogy? <laughs> Trying to describe <laughs> which came first? No, uh, the egg analogy between um, to describe the triune God. You've got the uh, uh, think of a boiled egg. You have the shell, you have the yolk, and you have the white part. What's that called? The egg white, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, three. It's an egg, right? Um, but you have three persons of the egg. You have three parts of the egg, right? Now, some would argue and say, well, that's... Uh, again, how, how, do you, how do you comprehend something that's outside of our comprehension, right? The, the clover helps me a lot. The clover? But it's the clover, yeah. But and then you have the confusion of okay, so when Jesus goes off and spends the night in prayer, well, who's he talking to? Hey, self, I was thinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and that's why Jesus is so relatable. Uh, um, <laughs> certainly, I can, I, I, I get that. But uh, again, it comes back also to the humanity of Jesus, as we've talked before. Uh, Jesus in his humanity, think of the things he gave up. While he pre-existed uh, uh, creation, right? He gave up some of the attributes of God in his earthly ministry. He wasn't able to be everywhere. Uh, he didn't have unrestricted access to the Father. Uh, well, he, he did, but he, he didn't. It wasn't communal as it had been in eternity past. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the personhood that I'm trying to describe here, is that they are all parts of the triangle, right? They're all points on the triangle of God, but there is a distinction there as well, because uh, 
you can't come to the Father except through me. Um, there's a, and they're distinct in that Jesus is not just the manifestation of God in the flesh. This is the way I, I remember understanding as a child, which I've come to understand is wrong. My understanding as a child was that Jesus was the manifestation of God in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit was the manifestation of God after Jesus' resurrection. But the Bible teaches that all three are in existence from the beginning, right? It's not just God showing himself like this, and then like this, and then like this. So there's a distinction there, but there's a togetherness as well. When, God, when Jesus says, hey, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. <laughs> right? Paul says if you, um, um, yeah, Paul says in Colossians that if you, uh, he is the image of the invisible God. So there's a togetherness and a separateness at the same time. And again, if we think we're going to wrap our feeble minds around all of it, we're probably mis mistaken. Right? Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Perfect. Perfect. Um, all right. So we'll stop there for tonight, and we'll pick up next week, with the, and we'll start looking at the attributes, the shared and the non-shared attributes, and kind of walk through that. Um, I'm going to stop the recording, and then we're going to we're going to pray together.